Hello everyone and welcome back to Fitcast. I'm your host Molly Edwards and today joining me on the podcast I have Charlie. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello everyone. Um, so yeah my name is Charlie. I am a online coach and nutritionist. I was a bikini competitor for six years. I stopped competing in 2019 so long gold slog in my 20s um, and I began life as a personal trainer when I was competing. So I feel like I've kind of come full circle with my experience of the industry. My first in- industry experience was bodybuilding and I kind of kind of grew through that and then came full circle out of the other side. Um, and now I support um, women to achieve their goals in a more holistic way. So a way that doesn't implicate their body image or their relationship with food. Um, and I also support women that have predominantly people that have been exposed to extreme dieting, a lot of sort of ex-competitors and things like that through um, something called the Flourishing Society that myself and Danny Bosworth have created. Um, and that supports with relationship with food and body image that can come from pushing to the extremes and kind of recovering from that physiologically, psychologically and finding a place of thriving again. So, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, I didn't realise it was that long ago you stopped competing. Yeah, 2019 was my last one that's when I started that was like my first one yeah so as you um you obviously won the compact classic and I gave you your tiara and I dropped your tiara and I was like shit (laughs) and that so yeah that was a few few months after my last one um because Darren had used one of my images for the poster thing and I was sponsored by compact so and then that was like you'd started then that was 2021 though that was compact. oh shit that was 21 2019 like I competed then I know I thought that was god that that seems so long ago no it was 2019 my last one but I was still kind of involved I wasn't quite sure and obviously I'm sure I'll go on to this like when I stopped like I wasn't like right this is it like I'm definitely done so I was very much still in the bubbles and things um but god that seems so much longer ago than 2021 yeah you didn't drop it I've got a massive head so it, just, it was never gonna I was like just gotta just gotta do this because I think Charles was busy she was like will you just run on and like on behalf of compact and give me up Molly a tiara and I was like just got to get it on her head oh didn't even do that right yeah well done <laughs> don't worry I didn't take it personally <laughs> so you obviously compete you compete for a long time then like back on the, I'm guessing like UKB yeah so I <clears throat> my first show was so I started kind of dabbling in it 2013 I competed 2014 um and that was the UKBFF Northwest and I didn't really I'd started kind of training that sort of style but hadn't um really foreseen doing a show really until someone in the gym was like oh you look like you should do a bikini the famous last words yeah. you should do a bikini show and then I just kind of googled it and was like what's this thing um and then I was looking at the girls at the time obviously the look was a lot different and I was like oh I look quite like that anyway so I just found one that was in six weeks it happened to be the UKBFF Northwest when came third got to the British and then it just kind of took off from there really I did like the following year I was in France Italy South Africa doing the NABA WFF Universe Europeans World so and it just kind of kept going then obviously the federations changed a lot over I guess that two to three years after that um but obviously back in the day like the UK BFF was the only route to the pro card one woman one guy a year um so yeah a lot has changed and a lot's changed in I guess the popularity of the sport and the level of conditioning with bikini like it just just blown up so what I find mad is when you look at even like you look at the Olympia like years ago and you look at like the the first ever bikini Olympia right and you look at and you're like wow like I've got more muscle than that I've come in leaner than that 
Yeah, it was it was literally a, it was a beach body. Yeah. Then it was it was a healthful beach body and it wasn't and you can get you can kind of see, I guess, like why back in the day, not necessarily now, but by back in the day, the bodybuilders were like, this isn't bodybuilding because it wasn't right. Like it's, it's like it was kind of a, just a healthy girl that trains, looks after herself kind of physique. Nice. Um, whereas obviously now it is a lot more conditioned and there's a lot more on the bodybuilding spectrum. But um yeah the look was was crazy like I remember back in the day and it was actually the first time I went to body power when I just competed I met um do you remember Amanda Latona no I don't remember that so she was like a big name back in the day she does a lot of the Olympia commentary now um and she was basically the, a top six Olympian consistently when I was competing initially and I met her and I, I just remember it stuck in my head I said like oh I just started competing and all of this and she was like Okay, one piece of advice I'll give you is when it stops being fun for you, stop. Yeah. Don't it. And like that literally stuck in my head. Like popped into my head the other day and I was like, I need to mention that on the podcast because that did stick with me like through my journey then. I was like, right, when the fun it's when the fun stops, stop. It sounds dead sincere. But yeah, yeah, like when when it's not fun anymore, like when you're not getting more than you're putting in, like it's time to call it. So yeah, but she was a big name back in the day. And like if you look at her physique it's just it's just nuts compared to now yeah it's it is it's so different it really is um so what was it then that made you think like you know I'm done with this now so obviously I had like a really good run I did like 15 shows and I think there was only one where I placed outside the top three and that was like across I pretty much did every federation apart from the model federations like Miami Pro Pure Elite that kind of thing So I'd had a really good run and then I was obviously doing two bros when they came over. I was winning a lot of shows, getting into overalls and all that. And I knew it was a kind of, my feedback was always the matter of time. Like, you're there, but we've only got one card. You know, we can only give it to one. Like, just keep showing up. Just don't change anything. And at that point, you know, you're plowing so much money into traveling around to get this pro card. And I think, and this is what I see with a lot of, I guess now objectively out of the other side competitors, that we can put so much into chasing this goal that everything else falls away and you don't realize it when you're so tunnel vision towards the goal. So I was like, yeah, gunning for this pro card. And that was all I could see. And then I had a show, I did the amateur Olympia in Alicante. And there was, I felt like a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I feel like, you know, like my, my inbox was full, like into like, it couldn't take any more of people like wishing me good luck. And you're going to turn pro this, that, the other, like people watching the live stream jazz had come out to Alicante because like we thought it was going to end well, you know, like and I did well. Like I placed, I placed third in my class, but that was my lowest place in that I'd had with an MPC show, and I was just like I hit the floor, like I hit the deck with that because I was like, wow, this that was so much kind of pressure. Um, and then went out to Prague the following fortnight and came second, and I was just like, I can't keep doing this to myself. Like you can't control who turns up. We know that. And then I kind of thought, like, when I got that kind of crash from the high, I was, like, realised it was really sobering as to how much I'd not paid attention to and Mm -hmm. kind of went, okay, if this doesn't actually go this way, which it might not because we can't control who else is on the stage, what have I got left? Like, my relationship was in tatters. I was engaged at the time. That was in tatters. I didn't do anything other than bodybuild. I completely lost myself. My health was on the floor like my hormonal health my physiological health my mental health and I just thought even if this goes the right way the glitter's got to crash at some point and I've got nothing else here 
Um, So at that point, I was like, right, this is definitely it for the year. And we'll see what happens. Let me just focus on restoring my health, my life and see where we end up. So I never said never. Um, But I just got to a point where I felt so good and thriving in life that I was like, I'm not going to rock that boat again. Yeah. It's also like you said, it's how much you are pushing and you know, as a business, they're always going to tell you, "Oh, you're you're so close." You know, the next one you'll get it. The next, and yeah, keep giving us money. <laughs> not good, but it's saying, you know, like you said, there's, you can never control who's going to show up. You know, yes, you're in with a chance, but yeah, it is. It's like how much do you keep going? And you hear of people that spend thousands and thousands of pounds, and I'm like, I don't know. Like I've spent a fair bit over the years, and like well because I've competed and you know just one show costs like hundreds of pounds but you've got that kind of thing where it's like okay how much money can I actually afford before like you said other things start falling by the wayside you know yeah and I think as well like for me and this is again something I work on with a lot of um clients who I have who are coaches is that this they they there's this thing in the industry that we feel like we have to validate our coaching or our ability with our physique Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this tangled mess of like, well, I should be competing if I want to be taken seriously. And, you know, it's so hard to break away from it, particularly if you work in the industry as well. And it is like you say, like, actually, is it an investment or actually are you just telling yourself it's an investment because you can't quite see through the mud right now? Um, and actually, that can be quite a harsh space to be as well, because that can keep you in unhealthy places because of these thoughts that you're telling yourself that your worth as a coach relies on your physique or your competing ability and things. Um, <clears throat> so it is, it's a lot. And I think, yeah, you could go on forever. Cause where does it stop? You term, I was having a conversation with my friend who's a pro the other day and she, she was like, you know what, the, do I compete as a pro? Then do I try and win a pro show? Then do I try and get to the Olympia? But then realistically, let's be honest, there's only Phoebe Hagen that's got in the top 10 in the UK ever and think about the thousands of pro- like, So actually you need to think, where is it going to stop for you? What do you want? Um, or are you just chasing this thing because that's what you feel like you should be doing? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually had this conversation the other day with um, well, my old coach actually, so before I pulled out my prep last year and he's kind of got this thing like, oh, let's let's see if we can go pro. Mm. And I was like, yeah, cool, let's let's do this. So we decided, you know, I knew realistically I wouldn't have gone been able to last year, but we're gonna try and do the Arnolds and see where I landed in that and see what I looked against other people and where I landed and all right, and then we'll take a year off and then we'd go again and we try and get this pro card and then what would happen? Like you said, like I'm very realistic about my physique, you know maybe maybe if you know we've got the conditioning right we nailed everything I might be able to go pro one day but like I said how much would I be chasing and then realistically if I got that pro card what would I be doing in the pro pro leagues fuck all like (laughs) that's the thing like I would be doing fuck all in those leagues so why not just have fun with it like you know go and do and I've said now like you know I'd like to compete again but what do I want to do? I just want to go and have fun and just do the federations that I enjoy doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, Jasmine at Compact speaks a lot about this. It, it's like that, that really for the majority of people, if you choose to compete really should be the route that you go down is like, what do I enjoy the most and what federations and what type of shows do I enjoy the most? And, you know, the girls that I will support to compete, um, the way that I coach, um, that is the overriding thing it's like okay this has to be 
enjoyable and positively challenging not taken away from you and that solely relies on like right cool like what federations are going to respect you what federations are going to make it a good time what federations are going to mean you get a lot out of the experience and the show day and everything like that because you know realistically like if you're chasing a pro card a lot of the time you're doing it for a business perspective or what you think is going to come out of it um and really unless you want to coach competitors that doesn't really have any weight in the normal world and I think we forget that when we come from the bodybuilding world you've got to remember that to the majority of people that will respect you as a coach and want to work with you they don't care it's only other competitors and your peers that care so it's like where are you putting your self-worth and like what are you actually looking for in validation like that pro card it's still got its limitations like and this is the other thing like cool if you go pro you can you're a pro awesome but then I couldn't judge for FitX anymore I love doing that you know and I kind of love doing that as well and I think doing that's made me a better coach yeah I couldn't I teach posing I wouldn't be able to teach posing for anyone other than NPC or advertise that you do you know I you know you have to be uh, very careful about who's you know if you go to a client show that's not a two bro show you're not meant to post about it and I just think actually would having that pro card then add to your coaching or would it take away from it now actually that would take away from it and that's where you've got to, I guess, draw the line between Instagram life and real life. Because in real life, it, like you say, it probably does actually take away. But yeah. this persona that you've created of yourself, yeah. you might think it adds to it. And that's where we've got to be <clears throat> really transparent with ourselves, because this is where we can end up with, you know, issues with our body image or our mental health, because we're kind of creating this life over here. But actually in real life, trying to put this face on for like look at how amazing this is but really like you say it could really actually work on the opposite in the opposite way um so yeah it's it's interesting and I think that for me and again I was speaking to a friend about this the other day and I was like at the time you know I was like that's all I wanted I was like I just want a 10 pro like I'd already lived in America for a a stint of time in 2014 and I was kind of like I was out there so I worked for Disney for a bit and I was in my bodybuilding thing still. So I was like training at Gold's, working at Disney, living the quote unquote American life. It was great. I was like 21. Like it was fab. Sorry. You're a princess out there. No, no, I wasn't. No. <laughs> I know. I, my, my flatmate was um, Minnie and Mickey Mouse. So that's my, uh, my claim. She was tiny. Um, but yeah. Um, so like I was really in that kind of like, yeah, I want to move to America and I want to be competing and all of this. And like, so drawn into it um and at the time I was like you know this is so you know this is all I want and this that the other but looking back it's the best thing that happened to me was to not get that pro card because you know you've heard of the tree of life right like you've got one branch that goes one way and all this stuff happens and you've got the other branch that goes the other way my life would have been so different if I'd have gone the other way and so would my health and my like relationship with myself um you know like I, I I silly things that I look back now and I think what I know now as a coach why did I do that to myself like I'd like put a coil in and been like right don't care about my period I just want to get 10 pro so I'm just going to put that to the back of my mind don't really care what's going on with my hormones let's just focus on turning pro and like that is mad to me now like I don't even recognize that so my life would have been so different if it had gone that way and actually what's meant for you won't go by you like and I stand by that absolutely absolutely and you know you could have gone down that route and like you said of your hormones and stuff 
got to a point where you can get pregnant and like now you might want that for yourself later down the line yeah you know it's not and it's not just the pregnancy is it like the, the actual effects of not having a cycle are so profound on our health of, of low estrogen like um and I just didn't know all of that stuff but then and I guess the thing now for competitors and I guess that like your demographic here listening to this is competitors there's so much information available now that wasn't when I started competing for sure so like making informed choices is so important for you and making sure you're doing things for the right reasons yeah absolutely absolutely um cool so obviously you stopped competing you decided that's it I'm done with that and then you and Danny started because it was originally am I right in thinking it was originally the flourishing competitor wasn't it yeah so we had the flourishing competitor um and then we kind of just so we're both quite similar in the way that we coach and kind of our ethos and the women that we coach um and me and Danny have been good friends actually since like we were both sponsored by Compaq when we were competing um and I'd put a post up, I think, that was aimed at basically competitors and saying, what happens when you hang up your heels? Like, have you ever thought about what, yeah. what happens then for you? And Danny had seen it and she voice noted me and was like, we should do something together along the lines of this to support ex-competitors. Um, you know, the whole like together we're stronger kind of mentality. So we set up the Flourishing Competitor, which was originally a free Facebook, like basically like a support group um with like loads of sort of free content the kind of work that we do with clients kind of just to basically a place for people to go and be like hey I'm struggling with this and people to go me too you're not alone you know, like that kind of that kind of thing um and then we kind of realized that the issues that were coming up for people and we had people joining that were struggling that weren't competitors that were maybe women that had been um let's like say coached by people that are competitors that say they're lifestyle coaches but apply bodybuilding methods and now they have horrendous relationships with food and their body image they wanted the same support um and we actually kind of had a chat with like a couple of our other friends in the industry that do sort of similar work and they were like you need to open it up a little bit to make it more accessible to these people and that's why we changed the name to the flourishing society we just recognized that the catchment is so much wider and also that if we can support other coaches to recognize these things and to coach in ways that protect these things then we're making wider impact so not just limiting it to competitors but any woman that struggles with this stuff and other coaches as well yeah absolutely because it is it's such a like a lifestyle and I think you know especially like like you said like people can be very tunnel visioned you've got coaches that are very like you must stick to you know this off-season prep blah 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 and it it creates this like you said it's an unhealthy relationship with your body unhealthy relationship with food where you're constantly tracking every single meal you're constantly tracking every single calorie and obviously you're not um eating anything off plan because your coach is like no you must eat this and actually what happens then when you're like okay I'm not competing anymore because it's not going to leave that coach because why you know why are you going to stay with a coach if you're not competing that's cost as much money as you know these uh competing coaches competing coaches I don't really know prep yeah like prep, prep coach yeah <laughs> and that's the thing right is that like some prep coaches are extortionate and this is it's crazy to us because obviously the depth of mine and Danny's knowledge now like over the last however long we've been in the industry our own experience and also the continued education that both of us do in our in our education as coaches CPD work like qualifications um people just aren't willing to spend that much money on their actual health as they are to get on stage it's mental isn't it it's mind-boggling like you, you know if you get like people that are like 
I haven't had a period in a year. I've been competing for five years and my relationship with food is short, this, that, the other. Like, they wouldn't think about spending 360 quid like they just did on their prep coach. <laughs> not that I'm saying that, but do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's that perceived value. I'm not like talking from a money perspective, but people's perceived value of getting a pro card versus taking care of their long-term health is like so skewed in the bodybuilding industry. Because I mean, you get someone comes to you and they're like, oh, you know, I've not had a period for a year. Cool. What's your blood look like? Oh, that's pretty expensive. Um, okay, you just you just paid like that every single month plus for your coach. Mm. What what do your bloods look like? Yeah. And even the thing with bloods, right? Like if you haven't had a period, you don't need your bloods to tell you that you need to bring that back. Like yeah. it's like start doing the work to bring it back. Like and it's it is that kind of like you say, the value of that it's just so warped and I think this it's it's multifactorial isn't it it's kind of like the status thing and everything else that's attached to it and I guess our health is more private but we need to put our value on us and our health like doesn't matter what other people think see whatever like our bodies like you only have everything else you have in your life if you have your health um so yeah it's it is crazy and I think what we can't ignore and like I spoke about this in, in a lecture that I did for EIQ Nutrition. Like, we need to be careful as coaches um, that we're not using these methods on clients, on lifestyle clients, because that's our past experience. And then, therefore, putting lifestyle clients in the same position with their health and relationship with food and body image as we would competitors, if that makes sense. So, you mean like competitor style diets and lifestyle clients? Yeah. Yeah, which we do see from like the bodybuilding industry so like applying the same methods for a fat loss client is going to get the same outcome with body image and food relationships yeah. so it's like it's we just really need to be important important we need to be careful that and I think the lines have become skewed very much with like bodybuilding in the fitness industry um and we just yeah we need to we need to be careful with with skewing that and that's what we've seen from the flourishing society is that people are, are suffering with these things that that aren't that aren't even competing so it's yeah. not even a case of even like when you stop competing it's like just general people and the way that they're going into diets and and things like that so so what you, you find the main things are body image then that people are struggling with it's a combination of everything and I think everything feeds into itself so like body image relationship with food their hormonal health mm-hmm. their social health and connection with others and their identity that that's like our five pillars of the course that we run um you know attaching their identity to their body or their being a competitor or whatever it is um and I think it's multifactorial like they all they all coexist right and they all affect each other um because a lot of the time if you have a poor relationship with food you probably have a poor relationship with your body and they interact so yeah come to you that have stopped competing for whatever reason why do you find like that is the main reason that people are like the main reason people are stopping competing um I think I usually tend to get people when they've finished their show they've maybe recognized that their relationships at home aren't in a great position maybe they can't be as present with their kids and they can't you know they're noticing that actually how do I undo all of these behaviors I've instilled in prep like compulsively having to go to the gym or you know, not being able to eat with my children and these things that they're starting to recognize that are really unhealthy. Um, and they want to find a way to do that in a way that isn't really, really scary. Um, or without feeling like, right, if I do that, that's it. I'm 
let go, lost control. Yeah, and I guess it's time, isn't it? Yeah, there's obviously a method, and it depends on the client and where they're at as to like what we do, um, uh, or perhaps people that have gotten to a point where you know they have been competing for a long time and they've been like, actually, I haven't had a period for over a year, and I need to address this now, and now I'm going to step away and do that. Um, so I think a lot of the time I end up getting myself and Danny end up supporting people when they've realized that it's gone a little bit too far and they've actually noticed that it's affecting other areas of their life, whether that's their health, their, their relationships, um, or just their general relationship with food. You know, they're going out and they are not able to be present and enjoy time with their friends that aren't bodybuilders or whatever, because they're so stressed about eating out, for example, like they start to recognize these behaviors aren't healthy. And that's, I think, you know, it takes stepping out of it to realize that. Yeah. And that's why it's important to have pockets of friends and family that aren't in the industry because it keeps you grounded and it keeps that realization. Because when all of when your echo chamber is doing all the same stuff, it normalizes it. Yeah. So with all of your friends bodybuild, you're not going to realize that that's an issue. Yeah. And that's like something you just said about there about periods and we've kind of discussed this anyway. But like I've been really passionate about, especially recently, the more and more I'm looking into it, it's like it's so normalized in this industry to lose your period on prep. And then just we've just got no period and then we'll just prep again. Yeah. What? Like, yeah. Firstly, like, why is it like the norm that you will lose your cycle on prep? And it and that's the problem. It's the way we talk about these things because yeah. it's normal in the echo chamber and it's like, yeah, yeah, everybody loses it. Just just get back. You know, it's fine. Rather than actually, do you know that actually if you've lost that for six months, your bone mineral density will mirror that of a 51-year-old menopausal woman and that won't go back to normal. Like that is the reality of it. Like, do you realize the implications of low estrogen on your body? Like, because I, I know, and I was in the same boat of like, um, oh, I haven't got a period, but I don't want to get pregnant yet. That is the tip of the iceberg of your health. And a lot of the time, I'll get, um, say, a client that will come out say they haven't had a period, and they're like, I feel depressed. I'm anxious all the time. I'm just so low. This at the other. Again, a lot of the time it is side effects of having low estrogen it implicates your short-term health your quality of life and your long-term health and it's not reversible a lot of these things um and it's a different you know it's different if a coach is saying look you haven't had a couple of cycles now this is the health implications of doing this do you want to keep pushing with this or going oh it's fine we'll just get back everybody's got everybody's goes and I think that is the issue in this industry and I'm really seeing a lot I've got a couple of girls that are really like coming to me now and be like oh my god like I've lost my cycle what should I do, you know, or it's not been back for ages, what do I need to do? And I'm like, why is your coach not picked up on this? Why is your coach saying to you, you know, I had one girl, she was saying to me, oh, my coach reckons I should um, compete this year. I was like, your cycle's not back. Like, why Why is your coach even suggesting to you that we should be prepping this year? Like, that's... And, like, there's no... Like, this is... And there's not much that I'll say in this industry that's black and white. We all know, like, so much is nuanced black and white it is unethical to diet somebody who hasn't got a cycle 100% like and I've lost clients like I've been like I'm not dieting you and they've been like fine I'll go elsewhere and I've been like cool yeah because I will not do that you have to put someone's health before money at the end of the day but it's not and even like just tracking someone's cycle there's so many coaches out there that don't even track they don't even know what day you're on yeah Why and, they- and unfortunately the thing that I see when I start to have these discussions with people in these echo chambers 
is I get met with, um, well, it's an extreme sport. Well, they hired me to prep them. Doesn't cut it really. <laughs> like it's, you know. Yeah, it is an extreme sport, but there's also ways that we can, I mean, yes, there is a high chance that you're going to lose your cycle. Like when you prep, like, you know, that is, that is there, but there's also ways that we go, okay, like this is a chance we've got, but how can we make this so it's safer? Okay. So let's add things in supplements in and stuff that are going to help assist your body and keeping that. Let's keep fats in your diet. Like really simple one, you know, let's do all these things that we can do to try and keep it. I don't know if the word is like safer or, you know, less risk of losing your cycle in the first place. And then when you finish and you come off stage, let's make sure that we're not going for like a full year of competing, you know, on, you start your first shows in April and you finish at finals in October, like, and you've got no cycle the whole of that time. Let's just go right within a short season and then we'll focus on getting your period back. Like, yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's that focus of like, say, and again, client autonomy of like, if they know all of the health implications and they are genuinely like, I want to, to finish this prep and they have made an informed choice based on the fact that you have, made them very aware of the implication on their health, not go and do some reading, I'm going to wash my hands of that. You've made them aware of it and they have made that choice. Then it is when you get off stage, I'm only continuing to support you if our first thing is we get you back, back healthy. Like yeah. we need to be making sure that people are aware of how much these decisions mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot, and again, a lot of people will be like, well, I'll just go into an off season and it'll come back. Like, no like getting your cycle back is so multifactorial like it has to be the focus initially and then you go from from there and unfortunately if you haven't had a cycle you're going to have a tough time building muscle tissue because you need circulation estrogen to be able to build muscle tissue so you know it's it's not because I've been met with like I'm like you know someone said to me before I've not got a cycle but you know so I don't want kids anywhere I'm like it's more than just not wanting kids like the real simple way to think about it is we are women right now, regardless if you want kids or not, we are designed to be able to have children. And that's, you know, that's how our body should work. And the way I think about it is, and it's not an exact correlation because obviously it's slightly different hormonal shifts, but think about uh, menopausal women and the struggles that people have psychologically, physiologically when they hit menopause because of declining estrogen. They don't want to have kids. It impacts their health and it impacts their psychological health and their quality of life all of these similar things happen when we don't have a cycle it's the drop in estrogen and how that affects our bodies um so yeah the more that we can talk about the wider health implications of losing a cycle I think the more people realize that it isn't just pregnancy um because it's very easy to be 22 in the height of your competing career dead successful and think well I don't want kids anyway yeah and it might be it might be you know I'm 27 now and I'm like, nah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm 30 and I'm still not sure, but I'm still making sure that I'm hormonally healthy because actually it impacts my actual life. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that we should probably point out as well, if you're on the pill, you don't have a period. No. I honestly had some going. She was like, oh, my coach just said to like start taking my pill and it'll bring my period back. And I was like, "Um, yeah, no, that won't bring your period back. That will just make you bleed. Like, and that's the problem because you know so many of us are on uh are on contraception that it's so hard to actually track cycles naturally um when you do involve contraception um but again it's also not fair and i don't think ethical for hashtag not all men but the majority male coaches 
to um, suggest that their female clients come off birth control. Yeah. Um, again, completely ignoring the potential. Like, you know, is is your birth control um, affecting your gains or something that I see a lot because on paper it suggests it does, but we don't, that's not what we see actually in research. And actually, you know, what's going to affect your gains is accidentally getting pregnant. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's a, it's a minefield. And I think you've just got to be so switched on with where you're getting your information and making informed choices and making sure that you're keeping your health at the forefront because the glitter is going to crash at some point, the hills are going to be hung up at some point, you know, what are you? It's an ethical solution come off contraception when you don't necessarily know what that woman's home life is like. You might have a boyfriend that's like, that's cool. I'll use protection. But you might actually have a gal that's in an abusive relationship that they're like, well, we're going to do this thing anyway. And then, you know, that's that's an issue you've got there as well. Yeah. So there's, there's so many factors to it. So how do you kind of deal with some of the struggles? You kind of mentioned that you've got five pillars that you work within. How do you kind of deal with those struggles that people have? So in terms of what myself and Danny do together, um, so that is a structured programme. And what's quite nice about it, it's called Thrive and Five. So like being the Thrive Pillars, um, sorry, five pillars, five thriving pillars. Um, so that is a structured programme. It is kind of a, a blend between like, educational course and group coaching so you get a couple of bits you can use for yourself if you're using it for you but also we've got we've got a blend of women who are using it for themselves and coaches so it can be quite it's quite adaptable um with thriving five we do kind of like have that educational foundation where they're going to get kind of educational webinars and also tools to use and things like that and that's quite self-led so it's kind of very kind of all that education there and that's going well at the moment um we've just done our first launch and we've got had some great feedback from that if we're working on a one-to-one basis it's going to depend what presents for the client really and I think where they come from so they say like it's similar themes but what's the most important for that person you know that's where we'll start so it's not necessarily a case of like here's kind of we just go through these kind of five steps but it would depend on where they're at. So say, for example, if um, I did get someone that had lost their cycle, that's where I would start first, because a lot of the time when we tackle that, getting hormones in a good place cascades down into so many other areas, um, like their food relationships, their relationship with their body and, and all of those things. Um, I've just recently worked with a investor who is um, also a mum, and for her, it was food. It was that she you know, couldn't eat with their kids, she couldn't eat socially, all of these things. So there'd be no point me starting at body image when that really is the forefront for her. So really, it depends on where the client is at. Um, And a lot of the time, getting them to reach a place of sort of neutrality, really, with it with their body image or with food and allowing it to form, still have a healthy space in their life, but to not form the predominant focus of their life. And, you know, you remember you're taking people from being hyper-focused of their body fluctuations and every gram of food and, you know, ev- measuring everything to actually just allowing them to loosen the reins a little bit more. And I think a lot of the time it's having the right support there to support them through that. Um, like a client that um, she just recently got a cycle back Um and she was like, oh, my God, I look back at the messages. I'm sorry. I was like so erratic Like when, when I started. And I was like, I'm like, 
no, it, I get it because I knew where you were at and I've seen this before and I know that that's quote unquote, like it's, I'm not going to say the word normal because I hate normal, but it's common for yeah. at that time, like for you to feel that way and like being able to see that bigger picture for them, I think it's really helpful when they can't see it for themselves. They're thinking like, how will I ever get past this? So what it actually looks will depend on where the client's at, really. Um, it usually is a variation of these things, but it's what's more important for that person at that time and what they're particularly struggling with. Um, and like you said, with periods, like, I mean, for anyone who's listened to this, who's never even lost their period, that week before you come on, when you're like, someone makes you a cup of tea and it's like too milky and you cry about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it is, you get to that point, don't you, sometimes, like, and you just like, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the world. But that's what it gets like, because you know you've got no cycle and you can just get this really erratic crying over you know absolutely anything and it's going to be like that every single day and then that you know when you've got your cycle and it's normal and it's regular and you know like I'm just having these like three days of like I'm gonna cry if you make me the wrong cup of tea and it's transient it's gonna pass <laughs> you kind of know you're like I'm just gonna be like this for three days and then I'll be okay again but yeah. when it's like that you don't know how long it's gonna last and you know if you've got a partner as well they don't know what to do because you're just crying all the time or you're and it, can be, it can be really hard like it is like you know and people don't associate it like people don't think oh this is because my hormones aren't in a great place they're just like I just feel so low like or flat and just aren't enjoying life and actually a lot of the you know our hormones are responsible for so much in our bodies and they don't often associate they're like you know what I just feel like I'm in a bit of a ditch at the moment I've been in a bit of a trench in my life I can't find joy in anything you know they just don't feel healthy um and it's almost like and it's it's hard because they've got to put so much faith in us to be like I promise you that if we go through this and a lot of the time it is uncomfortable the things that we have to do are probably going to override everything you've been doing through prep it's going to be a massive drop in exercise. There's going to be a massive increase in food. There's going to be massive focus on stress management. It's going to feel so different. And it's saying to someone, like, I promise you, if you're consistent with these things, there will be an end point. This will get better. And you will look back and thank yourself for it. And it requires a lot of trust on the client end because it's so, so different. You know, you've got a client and they've, you know, like you said, you've, you've been in prep, you've been focused on the weight's going down, the weight's going down, the weight's going down. We're getting leaner, we're getting leaner, we're getting leaner. We're coming on the other side and we're going cool, now we need to get your hormones in a good place. So basically, we need you to get fatter. We need you to do less exercise. Because, you know, when you're in prep, you're training seven days a week normally, like cardio, you know, training slash cardio every day, steps every day. And now we're going, yeah, basically do the opposite. Like, let's really pull back on cardio. Let's pull back on training. Let's pull back on steps. And you need to put weight on. You need to eat more food. And that's really, really scary because it's literally the opposite of what you've been focusing on. And now your hormones are all over the place. It's like you said, it is. You do need to just trust your coach and go, okay, this is scary, but I'm just going to do what you say. Yeah. And it is. And I can, you know, I've I've been there before. And I think that's the big thing is that when you have been there before, you can empathize with that feeling. And I think the more times you take clients through this, it's, you know, you get more reinforced as a coach where you're like, I've done this a lot now with clients. I know this is normal. And, you're not you're not erratic for them you're the strong constant you're like yeah this is fine like we're going to keep doing the xyz you know you trust your process you've seen it happen um and you can be that strong constant for them when the world does feel a little bit like erratic and chaotic and it is scary and a lot of the time yeah we need to do all of those things like reverse it 
But in the process of that, we also need to pull them away from managing those things and actually shift the focus away from that as well. Because otherwise, as you as you say, it can be so easy to then just focus on the weight going up and oh my God, and my body's getting bigger and this, that, the other. And that's not helping us to find this place where we can just settle and take care of our health. Um, so I think pulling that focus away from the body, away from food, whilst we're doing the things that need to be done is really important because that can add a lot of stress. Absolutely. And what kind of tips do you have? Like, so I always think for me, I always think of myself as I've got like these two bodies. So I've got my off season body, which is what I look like at the moment. And I've got my prep body. And the, like for me, I, like I said, I see it as two different bodies and that I find easier for my head to deal with it because I'm like, well, when I'm in my off season body, I actually prefer it because I've got boobs for a start um I've got a bum and I don't look like a 12 year old boy when I'm in prep yeah I'm lean there's loads of lines and stuff but I look like a 12 year old boy and that's how I like kind of distinguish my two bodies and I find then that I just have two different wardrobes as well mm. that's me but what other tips would you have for people for kind of how to manage those kind of transitions between what essentially is two different bodies yeah yeah and I think if we're talking about active competitors who are like yeah you know I want to protect my body image as much as possible whilst I continue to do this I think um it can be really easy particularly in social media echo chambers that were like right this is me my lean self and like that's what we show on social media that's when we do all the photo shoots that's the stage shots that we share and all of these things and then your off-season body is this body that kind of is you might prefer it but it's maybe not the persona that you show. You maybe hide it quite a lot. And I think trying to reverse that a little bit is quite powerful to like, that. that's your life body. Like that's your body. The lean body is actually the temporary one that serves a purpose. So trying to like flip that over and recognize that this, you know, your functioning body now, that's got a bit more body fat, that's healthy, that's capable. That's your body. And that's, that's transient. That's going to change over the month. It's probably going to change over the seasons because that's what a normal body does. It changes. Um, temporary one is the diet one and I think we can get that confused a lot where we kind of put this weight on how you look when you're in shape because that's what you maybe build your brand on or your Instagram profile or this that the other and it can be really hard to live in that other body um like I saw a competitive post about body image the other day where it said and her advice was to not post on social media when you're in your off season I was like that actually goes directly against supporting your body image because when if you do that if you're only posting throwback photos if you're hiding your body away in off season you're reinforcing the narrative that you're only worthy when you're lean yeah um so really it's about widening that lens and you know having a great body image isn't loving your body every single day that's unrealistic that's toxic positivity um but recognizing that actually your body composition is not a measure of your worth at all and that can change and you don't have to explain it it's not a case that like don't post you don't have to explain it to anyone you can show up however you are and you are you your body's your body and it's separate um and being able to reach a place of neutrality where you are happy in your body you don't have to love it every day but that doesn't mean that you don't care for it and that doesn't mean that you don't do all of the things and your self-worth isn't underpinned on that so I would definitely say recognizing your lean estate as the transient one that just serves a purpose and actually flipping that script a little bit, um, recognizing that we're not going to have great body image days every single day of the year. And that's normal. And knowing how to support yourself at that time as well, you know, wearing clothes that are comfortable for you and not 
maybe that don't bring attention to your body like tight clothing or feeling the pressure to have to wear a sports bra and all of these things that you know what just do what makes you feel comfortable that allows you to take care of yourself um and recognizing if that's becoming body avoidance as well because it can be quite easy to slip into I just wear baggy tees in off season because I'm avoiding my body so being self-aware of that um but reminding yourself of all of the great things that come with being in a healthy body um and you know it can be easy that we've had all this validation maybe on social media maybe you've done well in a show maybe you've posted your all of your progression on social media and everybody's like girl you look amazing like fire emoji this that the other and then no one's as interested because instagram's a visual platform but if you don't put as much of your self-worth on that then that's fine like you'll be able to deal with that a lot easier whereas if you're pinning your self-worth on putting your progress photos on instagram getting the external validation through your prep that's where you're probably going to struggle when you come out of the other side also thinking about as well actually like so say you shredded lean you go to a shoot with ak who you know if you don't know who ak is like you're obviously living under a rock but you do like there's all like boudoir sheets and stuff and everyone's like oh my god you're amazing right you haven't done that shooting off season and you're not getting that validation of oh my god you look amazing in your photos but you also haven't done a shoot with someone in your off-season body in your laundry with someone that's like incredible at taking photos and putting you in the right poses and doing your hair and doing your makeup and all of that so you're not going to get that either I don't know if I'm quite explaining this quite right I get what you mean that you're like you're putting yourself in those situations only when you feel like you're validated to do that when you're leaner when you're lean like oh people only like my photos when I'm lean well you're only putting photos up when you lean so yeah you know yeah. And, and also like you know actually question if you need that external validation as well like you know um I know that I definitely went through a phase when I wasn't then competing where I was like oh look like I've just done this photo shoot not dieting and like how amazing is this and that was still me in transition like projecting my issues because I still needed some external validation for my body when it had changed whereas now like I've got a shoot on Saturday and I've like don't even know what I'm wearing because I'm like up the wall with all the stuff and I'll just turn up to the shoot and I'll get some pictures for social media and actually, I don't need that validation at all. And that's actually probably the healthiest space to be in. So I would start to ask yourself where you're getting your validation from, remembering that actually the intrinsic validation is the only one that matters. Um, and just bringing it back to, like you say, like, you know, all of these things, like that that, that change in body composition gives you rather than takes away. Because yeah. if you write an actual physical list, it's probably a hell of a lot more than your lean body gives you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, something else that you said as well about clothing and stuff and like finding clothing that's comfortable. But I think also I was having a conversation with a girl. She's a figure competitor. So obviously she's quite muscular. She's in her off season. She's like, I'm too fat, I need to diet. I was like, you're not too fat. Like, you, I don't think you really need to diet. What's right. too fat? By, like, whose standards? Yeah. So, you know, I feel comfortable. Nothing fits me. Okay. You're a figure competitor. You've got a lot of muscle. You've got this massive upper body what clothes are going to fit you? Yeah. Like, because what designer actually designs clothes? I mean, and so, like for bikini girls as well, I struggle to get jeans sometimes that fit me legs in and I can wear, you know, that fit around my waist. I always wear a belt because otherwise my trousers are going to fall down. <laughs> so, and that, exactly. that's, you know, probably wellness girls find that even harder, you know, because clothes aren't designed, clothes are designed for the people that you see on a runway that are really, really skinny, they've got no shape or curve to them, and then we're trying to fit our bodies into that that are completely different. 
Yeah, and also like you know, we wear the clothes. The clothes don't wear us. Like, just change the clothes. Like, you know, like if, if that doesn't fit you anymore, like go and get the bigger size. Like, it's like we've got this mental block of like, no, I wear a gym shark small. So if I don't fit that gym shark small, I need to change my body. It's yeah. like no, like if you're gonna feel better in the medium sports bra, then buy the medium sports bra and feel better in it. Like it's and we just forget. <laughs> also, like your styles of clothing as well. Like I was saying to her, like you don't, you know, why are you feeling that you need to wear these certain clothes anyway? Like find a style that you feel comfortable in. Like I always wear really baggy jeans and then I wear like a tight, you know, top because I find that's a lot easier for me to fit into. And I'm comfortable there and I'm happy. Nothing's clinging to me. Nothing feels, I don't like any jeans that feel like clingy. Like I can't deal with yeah. that. It feels tight. I don't like it. So yes. finding clothes that fit your, like you said, finding clothes that fit you and creating your own style. Why do you need to wear that? Because like Kim Kardashian or whoever's wearing it, I don't know. I don't and, and the thing is as well, like that comes back to, so there's so many questions there, right? Like I remember being in that position where I was looking at my body training for a criteria not for how I wanted to train so obviously it was like right we need more of this we need more of that and I was like nothing fits me well like if I'm wearing anything other than a sports bar and leggings like nothing fits me well and then actually sometimes you have to ask yourself do you actually like the body that you're in like the shape wise that you're building or are you building it for a criteria and in that case is that the issue that actually you don't even like the physique that you're in you're doing it because of what somebody else says you should look like. Yeah. Um, and that for me was a big penny drop moment where I was like, I don't actually like living in this shape. I don't like my delts being that big. I want to be able to wear nice things and feel comfortable in them because that part of my life is important to me more than what I look like in the gym. And actually I want to feel comfortable in my clothes. And I actually just want a body that I'm like, yeah, like I feel comfortable in this, not because it ticks boxes on a, a judge's score sheet. So like, there's a lot of questions there to ask. And again, so multifactorial, like what bodies are you exposing yourself to? Like what's your social media um, algorithm look like? You know, are you always exposing yourself to competitors' bodies? Is that where you're getting your measure of too fat from? Is that where you're getting your measure of what your body should look like? Can you diversify your feed to actually what normal bodies look like that aren't constantly being manipulated for aesthetics? Um, so for yourself then, how did you change your training then? Because obviously you still go to the gym and train. Mm -hmm. Training changed to be like... So what's my training look like now? Okay. So now I train, resistance train two or three times a week, full body. Um, I do one push movement a week because my delts have absolutely zero chill um and I just don't need it so a lot of that is it's full body but it's like pulling glute hamstrings predominantly um and I just pick like an isolation two compounds and I either just basically do what I want within a structure um obviously when you program a lot like you know <laughs> you don't follow a plan because you kind of know where you're at with that um and so, yeah, I have two or three resistance sessions for health and just to retain the muscle tissue that I've got. Um, and then I do a couple of yoga sessions and a couple of cardio sessions a week. That might be like a run if the weather's good um, or just something to challenge me. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what my training looks like now. Well, that's cool. And do you find a lot of people kind of are similar to that? They just do a few sessions a week of this, you know, different types of things. 
Yeah, it, it depends what, again, it depends what's right for the client. Like, you know, I, I, with every client that I work with, regardless if they're an ex-competitor or they're a menopausal woman and they're wanting to improve their health, there's going to be some level of resistance training there, right? Because it's fantastic for our health. Like that's, it, it should be a foundation. Like if you look at the actual NHS guidelines, everybody should be resistance training two to three times a week. Um, So that's always going to form a foundational of, of anybody's training plan. But around that, it's completely dependent on, the client and like what they enjoy they might go do you know what i really want to go back and play tennis like i used to love playing tennis right cool let's get a couple of tennis sessions in a week like that's going to be your training then you'll do three resistance sessions and a couple of tennis sessions like it's completely dependent on them or they might be like do you know what my training's fine i actually love training the bikini split and i enjoy that still yeah cool. well if you've got the time to do that you have not got any family implications you want to continue to do that fab we'll continue to do that if you enjoy that but then some people don't and go the exact opposite so it's completely completely client dependent and that's why I don't share a lot about my own training because it's so irrelevant like that is it's just what's right for me um and I think that's what we I guess need to get away from is what people feel like they should be doing and actually be being able to make decisions that is right for them I guess as well it's also why did you get into it in the first place like why did you start training in the first place did you start training straight away because you wanted to be a bikini competitor or was there another reason why you started training? Because I didn't start training because I wanted to be a bikini competitor. Like that come later on down the line. And I know, like, as you said earlier, that did for you as well. So I guess sometimes it's like, why, why did you start training in the first place? Like, what was it that led you to start this kind of journey of quote unquote, like fitness mm. in with? Yeah, exactly. Out? And I think everybody, you know, if we're going to a point where, like, say people have put competing in the past and they're like, yeah, I want to still be able to train in a way that I enjoy, that challenges me, but isn't my whole life. Like, it is going to want need to form a smaller part of life, right? The majority of people aren't going to be going, want to go to the gym for an hour and a half, five or six times a week. Right. Like, and actually being able to say, okay, cool. Like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. We can find the middle ground. And like most things in life, the middle ground is the healthiest place for the majority. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's it's what, like for me, I could never stop training. Like I've cut oh, down. Oh God, no. Um, because my health's not been great, but I couldn't stop training. Like when we've had, you know, a few days when I've not trained for whatever reason, we've been away. I'm like, I need to go to the gym because for me, it really, really helps my mental health. Like it, I did a session the other day and like my brain is very, very like noisy all of the time. And when I train, it quietens my brain down and I need that. Like I, I can't not do that because yeah. otherwise I, like, I can't cope. Yeah. And that's what I talk about, again, from a mental health perspective with clients a lot is particularly resistance training because you can't just switch off, right? You have to be concentrating on mind-muscle connection, moving that weight safely you have to immerse yourself and immersion actually helps our brain to switch off so psychologically it's that immersion in something where you have to concentrate on what you're doing that's where we get the cognitive benefits the mental health benefits of doing that exercise whereas if you did something mindless like cardio like you don't really have to think about it and you're probably not going to get that same level of immersion and mental health um benefits and I'm exactly the same like you know we've with moving and things like I've had various things on where I've had maybe I've missed a week of training and the first thing I thought now we would have been oh shit my body's gonna change back in the day but now is wow I feel so lethargic or I just I feel like you say like cognitively overloaded because I haven't had that time and I think it's getting people to come back to those things of like recognize how these 
things form a positive ripple effect in the rest of your life. Take it away from your body and take it more to actually the wider um, benefits that it's bringing you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you do, like, kind of, you know, like I said, I was away at the weekend with my old coach and, like, he's kind of dropped down his training. He's just got two little kids now. They're very cute. Well, they're very sticky as well. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they're lovely. And like now his focus has changed away from bodybuilding to looking after two boys under two years old. Yeah. And we were saying, you know, we were both kind of saying about how both of our goals have changed. They're not so much in this, you know, like I said, I still want to compete again, but I'm not, I'm not wanting to compete at such a high level as I once did. Like my goal just isn't there anymore. And I just want to compete because I want to have fun and I enjoy aspects of it. But I also know that I'm someone that's very good at switching it on and off. Like off season, I don't track as much as a lot of other people do because for me, it's just too much and I can't be dealing with that. As long as I know I'm having a good amount of protein, like I roughly track my protein. I roughly track my calories to a point that I'm eating within a certain amount. That's fine. Which a bracket is normal, right? Like saying like I'm there or thereabouts in a bracket of just awareness. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's, again, it's like that you've just minimised the impact that's going to have on your life to a point where it's like, yeah, cool, I can like live here without it having any negative implications. And I think the problem that we get is like, that is probably the healthiest place for the majority of competitors that do still want to compete to be able to go, yeah, cool. Like I'm going to prioritise other things. I'm going to tick over in a good position with my nutrition, you know, tick over with my training. Um, You know, you can still make great physique progress. Just make sure you're eating enough protein, that you're eating enough food and that you're progressing your training. Like you don't have to be doing all these million, like super complicated things. Um, and I think the problem is that, and like this is something that I had with a, a competitor I worked with this last year, she felt like she was a worse competitor if she didn't do those things. So she was like, but I'm not being a proper bikini girl. Like I'm not being a, a, a good bikini girl because it's like attaching this identity that this is what a good athlete does. And that's also Instagram putting exactly. things on us and you see it all the time, like, you don't want it enough. Oh, uh, yeah, no. Do you know what? A lot of this game is genetics anyway. Like, yeah. you can want it more than anyone else, but if your genetic structure is crap, like... Exactly, and, you know, <clears throat> this is the thing with bodybuilding, right? Like, it's not a sport that you can just keep getting better at, and yeah. you have to be genetically gifted to go the whole way, and a lot of the time when we talk about anything, whether it's health, drugs, whatever it is in bodybuilding risk versus reward has to play a big factor here because unless you are genetically gifted there's like zero point in compromising your health because it's only going to get you so far and this is a discussion I have like my so my partner still bodybuilds and he's extremely genetically gifted in classic physique and he he doesn't push it very hard because he does it in a health focused way um because his genetics are so good but he wouldn't be pushing this he's you know and continue competing if that wasn't there as the foundation like he's like I'm well aware that I you know if I want to switch it on and go do you know what I'm going to go the whole way and make this my life I could do because I'm genetically predisposed to but when you see people putting so much on the line Mm -hmm. compromising so much and their genetics aren't there it's like it's like a losing battle because your risk versus reward is just so far outweighed here you're going to hit a sticking point and there's only so far that hard work can take you you will sit there and you'll get you honestly you'll get coaches that will sit there and go oh you just need a bit more muscle you just need to be leaner 
do you know what? Sometimes your bone structure isn't right. Your muscle insertions just aren't the way they need to be. I mean, unless you're literally going to go to the doctor and get them to remove bones and stick them back in other places and reattach and unattach your muscles, like, yeah, you're never going to, you're not going to be able to achieve that. You know, yeah. and I think that, that was but that's as far as it's going to go. Exactly. And that was definitely something I had, I think, in the back of my head with competing as well when I stopped is that I knew if I kept pushing it I probably I would be able to get that pro card but then when I got into the pro league my posterior structure it just wasn't there like the way that my glutes insert like I just wouldn't have been competitive just solely down to my genetic structure of that posterior shot um and that's something you can't you can't train um and I think being honest with people you know, and exactly this is where this conversation comes in, like you said at the start, right? Of like having that conversation, like, yeah, you know, if you really want to do it and we really want to compete, like, let's go and pick some federations you're going to have an absolute blast with and you're going to have a great experience with, you know, dangling the, the pro card carrot in front of someone to keep them paying you, to keep them saying, we'll just do another off season, we'll just do that, just do that. It's just, it just makes my skin crawl because yeah. it's like, you should be able to say to someone, look, genetically, we're only going to be able to go so far. So what do you want from this? Yeah. And have that honest conversation. Because like you say, like it's it's unfortunately one of those sports where... And I guess you've got to lead that conversation. Like if I've got a client that's starting with me and they're still going to compete, I'm like, oh, wicked. Like, what's your goal within it? Now, if they sit there and they're like, oh, I want to go pro. And I'm like, you know, I've not had anyone say that to me. But I would be honest with them and just say, look, let's be honest here let's look at doing something you know let's look at just enjoying it you know and I've got other people that are just like you know what? I just want to enjoy it and have fun I'm like awesome let's do these shows because I think you'll have great fun with them yeah and and setting a risk expectation yeah because there's there's too many people out there that just I think they're almost like these hype men mm. they're like yeah no, you're gonna do amazing oh well maybe the judge the judges would just off that day like, my favorite thing is like it's a massive red flag when you hear anyone say something like I was I was robbed um I'm not competing with that federation because I was robbed at this show or this at the other it's like you need to do some soul searching <laughs> you need to do some self-reflection because that's the biggest red flag when you hear someone say that and it's like especially when people like you know what I hate and it happened last year with with Dougie and I was like I'm, it, it really wound me up when people take one shot of someone and then a shot of someone else at one moment in time and talk about how they were robbed when actually if you were there in person you knew exactly why that person didn't win and it's like it, it really pisses me off because and what the thing is they'll always get a picture when the other person's like halfway through a transition <laughs> where they like and I seem to always get these photos taken me I mean you've probably got them as well when you're like halfway through a transition you've got your eyes half closed your hands like doing some spastic you've got hanging out <laughs> you know both your legs are bent you look like you're going for a wee or something you're like do I even do that bit of my whole thing? like do I look like that yeah and you get these things where people are like um like look at this comparison and then it's like the person couldn't pose had no stage presence was too small for the category but they had lean hamstrings and they're like robbed <laughs> yes like, awful stop it like it, it's but it's not helping the competitor that's the thing like it's it's blowing smoke up the competitor when actually you need to be honest with them and be like, yeah, that was a fair thing. Like, and if you want to progress in this, you need two years off and we need to do X, Y, Z. And actually your genetic capability is only going to take you here. 
like yeah. be honest with them because you're just setting people up for failure yeah and it is it's setting people up for failure and it's I mean and as a judge it's uncomfortable like I've literally been stopped in a car park walking to my car and been like why did this person beat this person I was like uh like I'm literally on my own there's a group of you like that's really intimidating yeah that's not cool yeah I was just like, and oh. also like you're one of nine people yeah like you know it's and you're all gonna have so I'm like um potentially doing some judging for NFM this year and it's like that's the thing is like you want to be consistent across the board yeah but you are all it's subjective like you're all gonna have slight differences as well like, you can't speak on behalf of every single judge there like the score is what it is like and then some and I think sometimes you get the issue and this is something that um that I think judges have to be quite hot on is like having each other's backs because what you don't what you don't want is one judge going well I had you first yeah you know and then that that makes it even worse yeah like there's like you sit there you judge you sit on the panel and you judge and that is what the whole table decided that that is what the panel decided and you stand by everyone on that panel and whether you agreed that or not you you have to stand by that and say they won because X bit of them was better than, you know, Y, whatever it might be. And sometimes you can't call it with bodybuilding, right? Like people just have it. People yeah. just have it. And like, I think when one of my best friends, Becky, she won, she won her pro card in 20, 2021, I think she won her pro card. And in that overall, I think if you were to look at it as a still image, yeah, you probably wouldn't have had her. But when you see her moving from every single shot and you see the lineup in person, it was not, it, it was obvious. Yeah. So you can't, you just can't call it. And that's the thing with competing is that, and bodybuilding, and particularly classes like bikini, men's physique, classic, there's so much else to the physique yeah. when it comes to being good in that class. And you can't always put your finger on it. And that there is sometimes, like, I judged a class and I remember that it was an open uh, bodybuilding, I can't remember what class it was, but an open bodybuilding class. And there were two of them and both of them were really, really good. Mm. And you're looking at them both and you're like, right, you know, you symmetry balance proportions. Well, they're both symmetrical. They're both balanced. They're both in proportion. They were both really well conditioned. They're both, their stage presence was really good. Like those are the five things you judge on and you're like, well, both of them are literally nailing it. Like they are the criteria, but there's only one winner. And you just look at it and you're like, how? <laughs> out of those two. And I looked at Lisa and I said, look, they're both really, really good. And I'm really struggling. And she said, sometimes you just got to take it on which aesthetic looks better than the other. Like, mm. and I was like, well, do you know what? I just prefer his look better than his I think he'd got like a little bit of a smaller waist or just stood certain way there was just something in it that he just looked a bit better than him yeah and so then he won but that other person said so oh well I, I was Lena whatever and you're like well let's be honest like you were great you were both great and it was really really hard and I'm sure a lot of that panel was split that day yeah and it, it's it is so tough and this is what like I get now objectively that I'm kind of on the other side of things and not in it, which is so much worse, by the way. Like when I go and see Dougie compete, oh my God, I'd rather be on stage myself. Like the anxiety is just too much. That's about Dougie because I always find this really funny. 
at FedEx, I remember he came over and he said, can I wear, wear like socks for my routine or something? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, like whatever. Why did he only wear one sock? Yeah, it was like, I asked, I asked the blonde girl, I was like, it's small. Um, it, so he wore my sock. Um, so we know when he does this, he, he does like a slide down into a front door bicep vacuum. Um, so that he doesn't stick on the floor, so that he can slide down and hit it within the one beat. Why did, no, but why did he just wear one sock? Because he, he's got to stabilise on the other foot. So if he was pushing off the floor in that pose, his other foot would slide out. Oh, it's just on the foot that slides. Me and Joe always say, we were like, why did he only wear one sock? Yeah. It's, um yeah, because obviously if he's, he needs to stabilise through that one, so that needs to stick on the floor. So it's just the one that needs to push off. Well, you've answered many a question here today. <laughs> Tricks of the trade, the posing yeah. trade. Um, but, yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Being on the other side is stressful, though. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, you know, I find it more... When I compete myself, I'm not really that nervous. I'm just like, yeah, cool, whatever, let's do this. When I've got clients on stage, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so, like, I just can't... I can't deal with it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's um, but it's it's nice. I feel like you get the buzz for them. Yeah, so. yeah. I find it more rewarding. Mm. Cool. I don't know if there's anything else you'd kind of like to add at all here. Um, no, I think we've covered quite a lot of ground. To be fair, I don't know if you've got any questions. Um, not really. I mean, was there anything that you struggled with when you competed? When I competed. I didn't really struggle too much in the actual prep because I think in a way, and I mean as crap as it was sometimes, I prepped mainly through lockdown. So I wasn't really around anyone. Like I literally just used to go to, we made a little gym in the garage or my friend's garage. And I used to, I don't work them more, so I'm pretty sure I can say it. But I used to go into work once a week to do some work. Now I worked as a PT, right? So what work I could do in lockdown, I don't know. I, used to, I was unfurled for four hours a week and I used to go into work and basically we used to go in early, keep the lights off in the gym so in case anyone drove past and we used to train like once a week in the actual gym. Why not? Get a good session in. That was the only time where I was with people and like I say with people, there was three of us. There was me, the maintenance man and my manager that used to train so they didn't have a clue like you know about bodybuilding or anything they're just like oh you look skinny I was like cool thanks yeah that's a good sign <laughs> yeah, great so the actual prep I just didn't really struggle because I didn't have that comparison of people um you know or people around me or any of those kind of things because it was it was all in lockdown um and I think another thing that I did which again I was talking to Vaughn about the other day like I never really looked at myself in the mirror I was never, when I trained, obviously I'd look in the mirror, like the form when I was posing, but when I was posing, I always posed in leggings and a sports bra. So it was never like, you know, looking at your legs, looking at everything. And I was always critiquing my posing. I've never looked at like my actual body shape. Yeah. And I used to take my video and I just send it to one. I never watch it back because that way I never got like attached to like, I never really knew what I looked like. Which, yeah like, reducing the kind of the body check-in yeah I just didn't really I was just like I pay you to do that so you can do that and I just won't and I think that for me really helped me post show I struggled a lot so I did lose my cycle um on prep and I got it back from it within four weeks like it was pretty quick which was good mm. 
But those four weeks, like, I was a mess. Like, I think, to begin with, I think the first week or two, I wasn't too bad. But I think I did struggle with, like, to begin with, like, I remember, like, right, I need to reverse out of this. But I couldn't control around food very well. I could just want to eat everything inside. Um, which, like, at the time, I just felt all this guilt. And I felt like if I ate around people, they'd be judging what I was eating all the time because 90% of it was chocolate. Um, but I think now when I look back, I'm like, actually, like, I understand why I was like that. Like, I understand, like, my body was, like, ridiculously lean. Obviously, it wanted food in it. Like, mm. I think I kind of beat myself up a bit about that. Um, and then kind of after that, like, I was very, like, very emotional. Like, for about, there was about two weeks where I was a little bit, like, funny. And then there was two weeks where I was, like, really, really emotional. Um, I was just cry over anything. Like, I went and stayed around my mates for a, a few nights because she was just like I don't want to leave you on your own like I'm really scared like I've never seen you like this and I was just a mess and then my period came and I was like oh I'm okay now yeah kind of it like I settled down um I would say I had a bit of I was very bloated I think my body image struggles was more the fact that I was very bloated and very watery and like it was like painful and with like the increased food volume if you were overeating like it's kind of it all comes together right like if you're overeating you're struggling with your food you're gonna get uh digestive symptoms you're gonna get the water retention and it does it 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 adds kind of the fuel to the fire almost um but it is it's a valid and again this is again reassuring people that there is an end point to it and the end point is always like restore health so like you say get the cycle back because that's what's going to stabilize your hormones get the body fat on because a lot of the time when we're very, very, very lean and like you say, the body is literally like, where is the energy coming from? You've, you've malnourished me. We can end up sometimes with leptin resistance where we actually can't recognize hunger and fullness cues because your body is basically bypassing that cue and saying, I just need to get energy in. So I'm not going to tell you when you're full because I need, I need you to give me energy because you've malnourished me for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we can get that like insatiable hunger because the body is literally trying to get body fat back on. But that's the thing is that when we get coaches that are doing their off-seasonal reverse dieting, where they're slowly staggering calories up, yeah, it's making it worse. You just need to get calories up, get body fat on, and let that stabilise. My calories were... He put me straight up to a surplus, but I just... Yeah, I mean, it's still normal. Yeah, it's not going to... But, I mean, when you do get coaches that do do it the other way and then clients are like I can't I can't I've been on 1200 and now he's put me up to 16 and I can't stick to it and it's so bad and I'm so guilty and this like the other it's like no freaking wonder you're still in a deficit <laughs> you're losing weight when you're that lean like why do you need to lose weight at that yeah like get, get into the surplus it's still gonna be tough for a little bit but that's the quickest route to it stabilizing yeah. uh, and again being aware if you go into that knowing that okay this is what potentially is going to happen I'm ready for it. I know that it's common. I know that that this is what happens. I know that this is the quickest route out. Doesn't make it easier, but it makes you more aware. Like it makes you be like, right, cool. I know. I know what's going on. Rather than, oh my god, why am I feeling like this? You know? Yeah. Because I think I wasn't expecting it. I think that was the thing. Like I just wasn't expecting it. Because I'd compete before, but I wasn't really lean. Like you know, mm. I wasn't lean enough by any stretch of the imagination. So I think. I never experienced post-show quite like I remember eating loads and I remember like sweating because I'd eaten so much 
but I did I didn't struggle like I did this year not this year but um you know 2021 um yeah um and also I think I yeah I was on the pill then as well so I think I brother I lost my you know I was on the pill I didn't have a period so kind of that hormonal thing was was different as well whereas when I competed last time I wasn't on contraception so I knew that I had lost my period I knew that my hormones were in a bad place so I I don't know the kind of differences there because obviously I was on contraception the first time but yeah I do know that I struggled and then I I think I did struggle a little bit of body image but only really the fact that my clothes that were fitting me didn't fit me anymore and then Mm. I just needed to get some more clothes and then I was all right with it yeah I do think that's really significant what you mentioned there and I think that's a really good thing to remind people is that like managing your body check-in during a prep will Mm. set you up for a better post-show because I remember god when I was getting lean it was all I was thinking about like I was looking at my abs all the time I was constantly pinching my skin I'd be in work and I'd go into the toilets and work and I'd check my abs to see how lean I was like I was constantly aware of that and that definitely put me in a worse place so Mm -hmm. being able to step away from that during your diet phase for sure you know managing your body check-in is going to set you up for a slightly easier phase out of the other side managing your body image definitely yeah and I think coming out the other side as well I didn't check I just Mm -hmm. like where I was I was living with my auntie and uncle um because I was kind of like because of COVID and things I was like kind of between houses so I was living with them for a bit and they don't really have mirrors in their house like they've got like a face mirror in the bathroom but that was it so I think as well that helped because the only thing I could look at was my face and I remember there was one day when I was in the gym and I thought I'd had an allergic reaction because I hadn't really looked in the mirror and like my face was red I don't know why I'd probably taken some pre-workout that made my face go red because it was a new pre-workout and I was like oh my god I'm having an allergic reaction and then I was like oh no I'm I'm just a bit fatter (laughs) (laughs) my face just filled out (laughs) I think that was a relief that I wasn't dying. So, you know, yeah. pros and cons there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but no, that is interesting because it is like, you know, when you're not conditioned to be like, you have to check your body all the time. You have to be checking the mirror. You have to be checking. Like, you can live in a world where you're not checking your body and it's okay. Like, it's almost like we have to be under surveillance all the time. People can feel um, and actually being able to make, no, like if we reduce body checking, that is going to actually make it easier for you. Yeah, and like you said, like you pay your coach to check what your body looks like so you don't have to like that's kind of one of the ways that I looked at it and I think that helped me a lot and the other thing I think helps is thinking about post-show before you're in post-show yeah I think we get to this post-show phase and we're like oh my god I don't know how to deal with this how do I deal with this if we start thinking about post-show at like eight weeks out then we can go oh my god I feel like this oh but I knew I was going to feel like this you know you know my clothes don't fit me hang on, I knew that my clothes weren't going to fit me. So that's fine. So what do I do? Okay, I just have to go shopping and buy some new clothes that fit me. I'm cool. Yeah, exactly. Being prepared for it. like, And that's something that I talk about. I, I did like a module for EIQ, um, like a webinar for them talking about like taking clients through aesthetic goals and like that that part where we prep or we do a 12-week call or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like just really reinforcing the transience of that. And like you say, like that you've got your before, which is normal and health, and you've got your after, which we're going to get back to that. And this is a transient thing, whereas it can be so easy to get into this and then get out the other side and like you say, go, oh my God, what now? Or what's going on now? Whereas if we can see like, this is what's going to happen. This is what we expect post-show. And this is what we're going to get to out of the other side. Then the client's set up for success. Like they can see the much bigger picture rather than just feeling completely lost when they finish their prep. Yeah. Um, 
and it, it's psychologically that's really important because it can really support them through a really tough time um but yeah I think that's really really important as well and also setting your boundaries and values prior to going into a prep so that you know how far you're willing to push because yeah. when you get to six weeks out and say you said to yourself I don't know say you've been like you know what I'm going to push this but if I lose my cycle I'm going to stop like you know say you'd said that to yourself you won't think that when you're 12 weeks deep because yeah. you'll think it like a sunk cost so if you can make those promises to yourself ahead of time that can just keep things objective where you're not getting overcome by the emotion and the sunk cost fallacy um and I think that's quite important as well like setting your boundaries of how far you're going to push before you're in a prep so that you yeah. can set yourself up for long-term success there's a lot of things that goes a lot with like you know PD use and stuff as well like yeah my goal like you said to become a pro yes okay we might need to use some PDs no cool why are we bothering like why are we yeah. if we don't need it and you know again from experience like I've been there when I've been like no no I'm not going to do that and then I've been however many weeks out and a coach has suggested it and I've been like I'll do fucking anything just do it it's fine yeah like so you know you need to have that serious conversation with yourself first because I can tell you now like when you've sunk so much into it you'll do anything and then you'll sober up again out of the other side and go oh, why did I do that yeah yeah and like you can know the risks you can know the long-term effects be like ah, oh, well you know I want this pro card I want this medal I want whatever yeah and I think what I think I think jars me is that I think some coaches know that as well and it almost gets a little bit manipulative that they kind of know well if I suggest it now and they can see them turning pro like they'll, they'll do it yeah and it's a bit like oh it's just it's a bit of an icky situation yeah. I mean I've had a client who was with a different coach previous and he was like you need to take Annabelle and she's like oh I don't know what this is and he's like well you won't win unless you take it because everyone takes it I'm like the fuck is that all about yeah it is mental and you, you see like you have conversations you, you don't you don't think this happens and then you hear something you're like shit this is this is still happening like yeah. these conversations are still happening it's crazy yeah and I think like you know you and me we know a lot of people in the industry and you hear more and more of these stories like I think when I was kind of on like that outer side of the circle like I didn't realize these things happened because you kind of live in this bubble and you're like well, my coach is great so everyone else must be wonderful and this is wonderful and everything's fine and then when you like get into it more you're like oh my god like people do this yeah it's horrific yeah it is it is crazy and like I think stepping out of it like I think sometimes I guess I'm in a bit of this bubble where I'm like oh everybody's got all this information now and everybody's making informed choices now and then I'll get an inquiry from a client who needs support and I'm like no nah, that this is still <laughs> these coaches aren't as informed as I thought they maybe are nowadays like, so coaches can be informed in something but whether they listen to that information mm. like that's another story yeah that's true you know like my coach said to me don't eat loads of chocolate molly I was informed of that but I chose to still do that so you know you can be informed but whether you listen to that advice or not that's up to you isn't it yeah that is really true but yeah just keep your eyes wide open yeah be aware, have conversations, surround yourself with people that have got your best interests at heart. And yeah, take care of your long-term health. The last question I've got for you, and this is what everyone gets in this podcast. If, oh, hang on, let me phrase this one. <laughs> what is the one piece of advice you'd like anyone listening to take away from today's podcast? That if you're a current competitor, one day you're going to have to hang up your heels. 
And I would advise that if you are still competing, that you consider what you're doing now and where you'll be in 10 years time and what your life will look like once the glitters crash and you've hung up your heels and just make sure that you're making decisions for your life now, but also for your future self. Awesome. Thank you very much. If people want to find you or want to, you know, there might be past competitors and stuff listening to this, where can they find you and where can they find the Flourishing Society as well? So I'm mainly on Instagram, Charlie P Fit, Charlie with a Y. Um, and you can find kind of all my kind of free content blog and also one-to-one coaching support links in my bio. Um, the Flourishing Society is the flourishing.society on Instagram. Um, and that's myself and Danny Bosworth. And obviously links to the courses and things that we offer are in the bio there as well. But obviously there's a lot of free content across all of our pages. Um, if you do want to diversify your feed and start to just deal with these issues that you might be dealing with um, and get some extra support amazing well it's been absolutely amazing to have you on and i know that a lot of people will be able to take a lot of advice from this um whether they're current competitors whether they're past competitors or whether they never even want to compete um so yeah thank you so much for coming on and if you're listening uh please follow fitcast please share on your stories if you enjoyed it and tag me and charlie in it thank you bye Thank you.